Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. The following recording is from our Sunday morning gathering. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Friends, I don't have a a long message this morning prepared, but I do want to make room for us to pray for one another here at the end. And so uh, we've been in 1 Corinthians. And so uh, I'd like for you guys, if you are uh, having your Bibles with you today, uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But over the last number of weeks, we've been exploring this letter of 1 Corinthians. It's Paul's letter to the first century church in Corinth. And it's a church that Paul planted while on a missionary journey and a church made up of first generation Christians. And I'm establishing this and I'm reiterating this from what we've talked about before. This means that the entire congregation, the entire church in Corinth uh, were brand new to following Jesus. They didn't have parents uh, that taught them about Jesus. They didn't grow up going to Sunday school. Uh, They had heard about Jesus and left a life of sin to encounter the Lord collectively together. And so this is, a, this is something that I think we kind of miss out on when we're just kind of doing a cursory reading and we think of the correction and the instruction that Paul is bringing to the church in Corinth like he's writing it to our church or the church down the street or the church that's been established for thousands of years. He's writing this letter to people uh, because there wasn't a church before this. This is really him fleshing out the ideas and fleshing out his theology and what it looks like to live like a Christian. And so part of me wants to offer up a little grace. Uh, part of me wants to maybe make a few excuses for these Corinthians and, and maybe explain why, they're, explain why they're dealing with what they're dealing with just because they're new. Uh, but I think it's helpful that Paul doesn't give them that excuse. He doesn't just say, oh, well, this is all new to you, so uh, you get a free pass. He still brings correction. He still brings instruction. But it is helpful for us to understand as readers that they are new to this thing, that they, they're not as privileged as we are because they're trying to live this New Testament reality without the writings of the New Testament yet. And so they're actively receiving this first epistle of Paul. It is actually the, the letter of 1 Corinthians is one of the first letters or epistles that is written. Uh, it's the earliest dated one. And so I think that's pretty fascinating. I think that's pretty encouraging. And I just want to remind us that as we jump in this. But back in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, um, we're introduced to one of the many problems that the church is experiencing. You see, Paul identifies this problem uh, in the church in Corinth, and it was uh, a problem that was driven by spiritual pride and arrogance. And I talked about this a number of weeks ago. But they were dividing into factions, into divisions. One was saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. And it's an issue driven by a performance-based value system. This is the way that I phrased this when I was writing it. In other words, it's taking the value systems of the world, uh, worldly wisdom, if you will, as what kind of Paul refers to it as, and attempting to bring it into the church. And it's creating these factions and instilling a level of spiritual arrogance by trying to say, 
my group is better than your group or our way is better than your way. Our theological leaning, our theological camp is better than your theological camp. And so to make this relatable, I kind of had this image in my mind. It would be the equivalent of if a bunch of you guys started saying, you know what, I am of Nate, I am of Adam, I am of Stan Gill. You know, if we, if we had the Jesus Cafe people that were like, man, you know what, we're really into the Jesus Cafe, and you, I'm of Stan. And you had the, the deeper project guys that really like to come and study the Bible and, and eat good food, and you'd be like, well, I'm of Nate. Or if you had the worship team that are like, I am of Adam, and you're going around and identifying by these particular leaders within the church, and it's creating this divisive mess. And Paul is, is looking at us like, no, guys. I don't want you if you're going to say that I am of Paul. Like, don't associate my name with this. This is madness. This is lunacy. And uh, I'm thankful that that's not something that we're actively dealing with. If we are, I'm not aware of it. Um, I'm thankful uh, for all that God doing, God's doing. I'm thankful for the different leaders that we have in the church. But at the core and at the crux of this is we see the church is divided. The church is not united in what it says and what it thinks and what it believes. And it's breaking the heart of the apostle here. And it's this worldly wisdom that God calls foolish. Um, it's this idea uh, of, of breaking and following different teachers that are not Jesus. Um, Pastor Adam kind of tackled this in chapter 2 of last week and uh, there's, there's so much going on here that it's hard to recap week after week after week after week. And I would just want to encourage you and uh, let you know that we do have a podcast. It was under maintenance for a number of weeks, but it is back up on, uh, you can listen to it on iTunes or Spotify or just on our website now. Um, so if you guys are intrigued enough to go back and listen to some of the, the, the first chapters here, if you've not been able to follow along with us, um, I think it would be wildly helpful for you. But I say this because the first few chapters of Corinthians, of 1 Corinthians, they're all connected and they're all related to this issue. And there's some deep theological truths that Paul brings out, but it's under the foundation and under this backdrop that the church is not unified. They're not operating in one heart. They're not operating in, in one accord. And, and Paul is bringing correction here. And he makes some strong remarks about the necessity of the church to be unified because he understands unity to be a mark of maturity. I want, I want, to, I want you to listen to what Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. He says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Talks about unity being a mark of maturity. Do you guys understand my job as a pastor is to make sure that you are presented to Jesus as spiritually mature. That is, that is my role. It is to help equip you to do God's work. It is not my responsibility to make sure that you are comfortable. It is not my responsibility 
to make sure that you feel welcomed and safe. My responsibility as a shepherd of this flock is to help equip you to get your, I'm going to say it like this, to get your butt active, to do the work of ministry, to actually do something with what Jesus has done in you. That is, that is the role of the gifts that God gave his church. When we look at apostles, when we look at this thing that they like to call the five-fold ministry, it is their responsibility to equip God's people to do his work. Not for us to do the work for you. It is our responsibility to help you do the work that God intends for you to build up the church, the body of Christ. And he says, this is going to continue to happen I'm going to continue to give you apostles. I'm going to continue to give you prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip the church until we come to unity. That is a marking factor of maturity in our faith and the knowledge of Jesus. That's wild and that's cool. But I think some people think, think that it is my responsibility as a pastor to do the heavy lifting and the work of the ministry. Or you think it's my responsibility to make you comfortable and make sure church is a place where, where you feel welcomed, where you feel safe. And I'm not trying to say that I, I intentionally step on toes or I'm going to intentionally provoke you just because that's my, my personality. That was probably true at one point in time, but I feel like God is ironing things out in me. But I, I'm not interested in just holding your hand and saying that Jesus is okay with your sin. I'm not okay with just saying, you know what, I, I'm here to bring, bring comfort. Many people want a pastor who will, who's going to just hold their hand while they waste their life away. To assure them that Jesus loves them while they're dealing with all this other nonsense. And I need you to understand this, that Jesus does love you just the way you are. In fact, he loved you at your worst. Scripture tells us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you. We, we have this idea of this come as you are uh, invitation and, and Jesus is very much for that, but it's not a come as you are, stay as you are kind of invitation. Yeah. Jesus doesn't want you to come with him and stay the same. Yeah. Does that make sense, my friends? He didn't suffer this horrific death on a cross for you to stay a sinner. We think about this, you know what, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That is a terrible like, mindset to have, <laughs> that you're just a sinner. I believe that God transforms us. He changes us. And he loves you too much to allow you to stay the same way you are. He invites us into transformation. Let's not, let's not dishonor his sacrifice by continue to live by continuing to live like nothing happened that's what was happening in the Corinthian church they looked identical to the world around them they were practicing the same things that those that were considered heathens were practicing there was no mark of distinction amongst them and we're going to talk about this in just a moment Are we unified? Are we in one accord? Are we on the same page? And is that page Jesus Christ, the Son of God? 
That's what Paul would talk about there in Ephesians chapter 4 as being the marks of maturity, unity in our faith, and the knowledge of Jesus. I'm excited to get to this eventually, but I I intentionally kind of uh, shaved my message this morning um, because I I wanted to give Tim and Kelsey time, and I I wanted to make sure that we didn't, I I didn't just get off the rails Um, because I'm excited to get into chapter 3 because there's a lot of imagery and and things that that, that Paul brings out that's just powerful. But we're going to get to this eventually where Paul fleshes out this, this idea of what maturity looks like. And it happens in association with unity, but not just unity for the sake of unity. It's unity built upon Jesus. Because there are plenty of movements out there that are unified, but they're unified uh, based on the wrong motivation, <laughs> with the wrong foundation, if you will. But for the church to be the church, And for it to be a mature bride, it's got to be unified. And it's got to be unified on the firm foundation of Jesus. But I asked you to turn to 1 Corinthians. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're just going to try to cover the first four verses here this morning. Paul would say this, and Adam referenced this in his last message, but I'm going to continue to build upon it. He says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly Mere infants in Christ. So what we see here is that they're Christians. They've, they've embraced this idea that Jesus is Lord, that, that they should serve him. But Paul is saying that I can't even address you as people who live by the Spirit. These are, these are Christians who claim to be Spirit-filled. The Corinthian church was known to be pretty, pretty charismatic, Pretty, pretty Pentecostal, if you will. It says that they weren't lacking in any spiritual gift. And I love this about Paul because he could have easily written the, written the church and said, you know what, all of that prophesying, all of the tongues, all of the miracles, all the, the gifts of the Spirit, you know what, uh, just stop those until you're more mature. He doesn't say that. <laughs> he gives instruction on how to practice them, and he says that they're needed. I've been excited about what we've been talking about on Wednesday nights and really looking at it from a biblical standpoint, but... They're very much needed, but what Paul would go on to say here is like, you're claiming to be spiritual. You're claiming to be full of the Spirit, but I can't talk to you like you're full of the Spirit because you're still worldly. And so he's saying that you say that you're spiritual in the same way that he was saying that you think that you're wise, but that's just not true. You're living in the flesh, you're living in the world, and this is his, his call out here. He calls them babes in Christ. He says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? This is a, this is a sick burn from Paul. He says, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Paul is saying, you're a bunch of babies, Grow up. <laughs> Spiritually, that, that's, that's what he's saying here. And I, <clears throat> I remember making the transition from being a youth pastor to being a senior pastor. I was here in this church, and uh, I, I was so relieved that I wasn't going to have to deal with nonsense anymore. <laughs> I 
you know, I, I was thinking that I, I wasn't going to have to deal with all the, all the crazy, silly, stupid things that teenagers deal with on a consistent basis because, you know, their, their minds aren't fully developed and they make some irrational thoughts and decisions. And I remember walking through teenagers with some really just like bizarre, like thought processes. And then I became a senior pastor. And I'd have people come into my office and I'd have conversations with people. And I was greatly discouraged. (laughs) This isn't funny. I'm being serious. I was greatly discouraged. I was distraught because the things that they should have known, they neglected and they ignored. I had people coming into my office that have been sitting in this church for decades, sitting under sound biblical teaching that are struggling with stupidity sitting in my office and saying, Pastor, I just can't get over this, or I can't, I can't deal with this, or, or I'm making these decisions. I feel like God wants me to leave my wife, or I, you know, I, I feel like God wants me to smoke pot. I feel like God wants me to look at porn. I had these conversations with people that should know better. And I, I'd go home to my wife, and I'd be in tears, and I'd be frustrated, because in my mind, I was like, this is worse than the teenager's. These are people that should know what it looks like to follow Jesus because they've wasted the entirety of their walk with the Lord sitting in a pew listening to a pastor preach, but they have nothing to show for it. They've been here for decades. Wasting time. I couldn't understand it. I couldn't wrap my mind around it. Friends, don't let that be you. Grow up. Don't find yourself, guys, don't find yourself sitting in a church 20 years from now doing nothing for Jesus because you couldn't get past the Sunday morning. I say this not to sound harsh. I get people have struggles. I get people face demons. But there, there are some things there's no excuse for. Many people want to play a pastor or blame a pastor or a church for, for, for not growing spiritually. I once had a guy, not once, I've had multiple people tell me that, you know what, I stopped going to church or I stopped going to this church or they stopped coming to our church because they weren't getting fed spiritually. Guess what? Babies are the only ones that need to get fed. The last thing I've heard, or at least I'm, I'm pretty confident, we have a lot of potlucks here, and we eat a lot as a church, but I've never had to spoon feed one of you. Well, I did, I did Fletcher on Tuesday night, but that didn't count. That was a joke. I mean, he gets the spiritual babe card, right? There we go. He gets a pass, but just think about it. How silly of a thought process is that? How crazy of a thinking do you have to go through to sit there and be like, oh man, I just need to, I need to get the pastor to feed me. Man, I want to feed you, but the reality is sometimes you're not ready. Anyway, I'm not going off on that. Anyway, um, I say this, I was discouraged. And I'm often discouraged by people that should know better but don't. I have a lot of patience, friends 
for people that are new to Jesus. I have a lot of patience for those that are still figuring this out. But for those of us that have claimed to follow Jesus for years and you're still struggling with the same thing that you struggled 10, 20, 30 years ago, let's grow up. Let's give it to the Lord. Because I know the Jesus that I serve is powerful enough to end every addiction. The Jesus I serve is good enough to break every chain. And there's no reason why you still have to be 50 years old struggling with pornography. There's no reason why you still have to be, 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 be needing a substance after years and decades of following Christ in order to connect with God. That is ridiculous. And that's what Paul would say. He would say, grow up. Amen. He uses this word, worldly. Your translation might say fleshly or carnal, but it's, it's the idea that the Corinthians were living like the rest of the world. It was, as, it was as if Jesus didn't change their lives at all. And I want to encourage you today if Jesus has really changed your life, people are going to take notice. Jesus doesn't give us the option of simply supplementing him into our lives. We don't get the, the, the privilege or this idea that we can just add a little bit of Jesus to what we all got going on. He is... Uh, He's coming in with a takeover mentality into your life where he wants every aspect of every little thing, of everything that makes you you, he wants it and he wants it surrendered to him because it's only surrendered to him that wrong things can be made right. I love what Gordon Fee says about this passage of scripture. He says, spiritual people, and the Corinthians prided themselves with being spiritual with being wise. And he says this, spiritual people are actually to walk in the spirit of God. If they do otherwise, they are worldly and are called upon to desist. Remaining worldly is not an option. That is not a privilege given to us. To remain carnal, to remain in the flesh, to remain bound, to remain addicted is not something that is given to the follower of Jesus as an option. He comes in with the ability and the mentality to set you free and there is no such thing as a bound Christian. Jesus comes in to set us free, and he wants to see you walk in that freedom. I don't know if you've ever made a mistake or, or if you've ever been like me and you've used the, the, the kind of uh, the phrase, well, I'm only human, right? Has anybody ever used that before? I backed into somebody's car one time. If you guys remember Brenda, I backed into her car, and, you know, I just couldn't see it. It was dark outside, and I didn't have reverse lights, and I, she shouldn't have parked right behind me. I don't know. I didn't have, like, a sixth sense to know that she had just shown up and parked her car behind me. I guess I could have looked, but I didn't. It was dark out. We need a light up at the parsonage. This was years ago. But uh, <laughs> I used kind of the mentality, or I, I used the excuse, well, I'm just human. How was I supposed to see? I don't have x-ray vision. I'm not a superhero. I didn't know it was there. Anyway, uh, it was just me of trying not to own up for my failures, and I didn't want to pay for her car. It wasn't bad. 
nothing happened. Anyway, <laughs> but this, this language, I'm only, only human. This is what Paul is calling out in the Corinthians when he says, uh, uh, when he talks about being merely human. And so, but he points this out in such a way um, because I know that people do this all the time in their spiritual lives, right? Well, I struggle with sin. I struggle with this. And it's just going to be a part of my life from here until Jesus comes back. I'm going to struggle with a bondage. I'm going to struggle with addiction. I'm going to struggle with, with whatnot because we live in a fallen world and I'm only human. And that's part of the, that's part of the struggle. But if we claim to be full of the Holy Spirit, we're no longer merely human. If God, the God of all the universe, has decided to take up residence in your heart, you no longer get to live by the excuse that you're only human. You may be a sinner saved by grace, but now you're empowered by the Holy Spirit and the God of all the ages, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, now lives inside of you. We don't get to fall back under the curse or fall back under the lie that we're just human. This is the problem that the Corinthian church is facing. They're claiming to be spirit-filled followers of Jesus, but they're not living like it. This is like the single greatest problem that I think is known to the church, <laughs> that is known to the media, that is known to the rest of the world, is where you have someone that claims to be born again, full of God, full of the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit, but their life fails to reflect that change. That's why I believe the testimony of, the, of a changed life is the most powerful and potent thing in existence. Man, you start hanging out with this dude right here. You start hanging out with Lucas. Man, there is no denying that you're a different person today than you were a couple months ago. There's no denying that. I, can't, I could come against you with every intellectual argument about why God doesn't exist, but I can't deny the fact that you're different. I can't deny the fact that there's something that, that, that happened to you that can only be attributed to God. And so as much as I might make the intellectual reasoning that, that man, God just doesn't exist or he's not there or he's not up there, I can't deny the fact that, man, Lucas is sober. What? That is wild. That is awesome. Praise Jesus. But I'm saying this because this is where I wanted to get this morning. And I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to preach short, I promise. But I've had this picture and I've had it in my spirit. This was not what I had planned on preaching this morning. I, I, had, a, I had an outline of getting into the, actually the, because Adam preached these first four verses kind of technically. I was going to preach on something else, but I couldn't get this image out of my mind. And it was this picture of Jesus who, who has come down off the cross and he's, he's victorious. And he's got the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And he shows up and he's beginning to unlock people's cages. He's unlocking these prison cells where we've been bound where we've been chained, where we've been in darkness, where we've been in bondage and in addiction. And he's opened up the cell wide. And, and freedom is raining out. And, and it's this victorious moment. But there's many people 
that aren't willing to come out of the cell. The door has been opened. The price has been paid. The sentence has been forgiven. But there are too many of us that are still too comfortable or more comfortable with the bondage and the familiarity of sin and the the supposed comfort that it brings that we're not listening to the voice of Jesus who says, come follow me. But we would rather, you know, rest easy with the fact that we know that the sentence is forgiven. We, we, know that the, we, we, we know that the prison doors are open, but we're still asleep in the cell. We're, 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 still, we're still laying down and we're still living like we're bound when there's a door open with a path to freedom. And that is breaking the heart of God. And it's breaking my heart today because he can't pay the price again. He can't open up the prison cell again. He can't open up the door. He wants us to follow him, but it is an impossibility. Hear me, friends. I believe this with everything inside of me. It's an impossibility to claim to love Jesus, to follow Jesus and still say and still stay inside that prison cell. To still stay bound to still stay addicted because I understand that, that where there, there's freedom, where the Spirit of the Lord is, he'd go on in 2 Corinthians to say where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And I can't wrap my head around this idea of a follower of Jesus wasting their life away. Staying bound to the things that Jesus hung on a cross for. Because I think we've done a disservice to the gospel when we think about Jesus saving souls. When we talk about Jesus saving souls. We, we kind of reduce it to this idea that Jesus died so you could go to heaven one day. And he secured eternity for you. But he's not so much concerned about the here and now. That's just not true. Jesus in John 10.10 says that he came that we might have life and life abundantly. Jesus didn't just die to save your soul or to save your spirit when you die. He died to save and set you free here and now and the then and there. He wants you to live life to the full right now. And he's got the power and, the, and he's got the willingness and the desire to set you free here and now to live unbound just as much as he does when we get to that side of eternity. Amen. To say yes to Jesus requires you to say no to inferior masters. In the same way that when I gave my life to Jesus... I had to say no to everything else that wanted my attention, that wanted my time, that wanted my energy. And people called me out and said, you're being ridiculous, Nate. Turning into this Jesus freak. You don't have time for your old friends. You don't have time for the music scene. You don't have time. All you ever talk about is youth group and Jesus. What the heck is going on? But it's a lot like when I said yes to Kelly. 
to make her my wife. When I said yes to Kelly at that altar, what I effectively was doing was saying no to every inferior lover that would come across. And that's what happens when we say yes to Jesus. There is a requirement to say no to some things. But guess what? I have never once regretted not saying yes to Kelly. I've never once been like, oh man, you know what? I should have held out for something better. That would have been mind-boggling stupid. <laughs> I've never once had that thought or that, that idea. And then I compare that to Jesus. I've never once, you know, sat back and wished, you know what? I really wish I just would have like smoked more pot instead of following Jesus. I've never once felt like, oh, you know what, man? I really just wish I would have, uh, you know, really jumped into the business sector and made a bunch of money instead of following Jesus. I have never been left wanting by saying yes to Jesus. I have, never, I have never once woken up in the morning and regretted my decision to say yes to Jesus. I've had to say no to some things, but at the end of the day, my yes to Jesus outweighs every other thing that I could possibly miss out on. And I've never once regretted it. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to find more of our messages, get connected with our church, or partner with us financially, you can find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Thanks again, and have a blessed week.